Thank you for that special music. I invite you to open your Bible this evening to the New Testament book of Ephesians. Would you turn there now with me, please? The book of Ephesians chapter five, Ephesians chapter five. We're going to talk tonight about the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit. I believe that we are living in the last days. I believe that we're facing all kinds of new forms, perhaps of the devil's tricks and persecution upon the saints. I think it's very easy for us to try to live the Christian life in the strength of, of the flesh and not in the strength of the Lord. That was the whole design. That's what makes the Christian life so unique and so wonderful and beautiful is the presence and power of the Holy spirit. But the old devil, you know, he's very, very clever. Um, he's had a lot of years of practice. And he will try to shift uh, the emphasis in our lives off of the dependence on the Lord and the Holy Spirit, and then on to what we can do and sort of a business as usual. And for, um, or I should say to a certain degree, we can keep up a facade, you know, that it looks good. Hey, how are you? I'm great. Things are fine, but it's not so fine on the inside. And there's a conspicuous lack of answer to prayer, a conspicuous lack of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And this needn't be the wonderful Holy Spirit that God uh, promised us and gave us the very moment we got saved. It's not a second blessing that you have to seek for. You have the Holy Spirit if you're saved. Romans chapter eight makes us very clear. Now, if any man have not the spirit of God, he is none of his. And so if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not saved. The presence of the Holy Spirit is what told the, the Jews at the Jerusalem council. I, sh I should say the Christian Jews, because they, um, they were saved, but they had trouble understanding. How is it that the Gentiles could be saved because they weren't keeping the Mosaic law. They weren't observing the feasts and the holy days and the dietary codes, and they weren't keeping the Sabbath either. And so the Jews that were saved naturally were thinking, well, these Gentiles can't be saved. So they brought in a bunch of Gentiles in Acts chapter 15, and they found that they had the same Holy Spirit that they themselves had. And that was the key. And when they saw that, they knew, yeah, these Gentiles are saved. And so they wrote a nice letter. You must have read it. If you read Acts chapter 15 and this letter circulated far and wide to all of the, the churches that were mainly Gentile Christians, basically telling them four things to watch out for and uh, then fare thee well. And they left them in the hands of God. You know, we're not under law. Isn't that good news? We're not under law. We're under grace. That doesn't mean that we're free to go out and commit crime, but not at all because God will chasten and punish us. If need be, God knows how to get our attention. That's for sure. But rather we're free to be able to live for the Lord and do the right things. And the Holy spirit is our power. You see the early Christians were all Jews and they couldn't keep the law. But then when they got born again and saved, they were given the Holy spirit. Now all of a sudden they had the power 
to start keeping those laws of Moses. And they were so excited about it. It felt to them as if they could walk on water. And that's why they really had a struggle with the, uh, the Gentiles who, who by nature, they don't, they're not under the laws of Moses. So we want to talk about the filling of the Holy spirit and the filling of the Holy spirit should be something that you and I look for every day. When you get saved, it's once you don't get saved and then you'll lose it next day. You got to get saved again and then you sin and you lose it. And so you got to get saved again until you sin again and lose it. Nothing like that at all. When you get saved, you're part of God's family. The Lord Jesus has forgiven all of your sins, past, present, and future. The Holy spirit has come and taken up residence inside of you. So you've got this tremendous power sitting inside of you. Now, what you have to do is tap into it every day. And that's the trick. That's the, the secret, if you will. And it's quite possible for you and I to walk in the spirit or to walk in the flesh. We can do one or the other. And when we walk in the flesh, we tend to, um, to have a dull kind of a Christian experience. When we walk in the spirit, all of a sudden things come alive. It's like springtime and the flowers open up and you know, the, the aroma of spring is in the air and the birds are singing. And it's that kind of, well, there's a song that someone wrote many years ago. It is summertime in my heart. It is summertime in my heart. And I forget the rest of the words, but I, I remember those ones. It's a Christian hymn. It is summertime. And even in the winter, it is summer in my heart. Something like that. You should look that one up. Maybe someone could do a special music on it. Well, we have the, the command. It's a command. It's not a suggestion in Ephesians chapter five and verse 18. And I'd like if you would read it out loud with me, please. And then we'll have a word of prayer together. So Ephesians chapter five, verse 18, you may keep your seats and let's read this one verse together. Shall we? Here we go. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the spirit. Now let's pray. Our heavenly father, help us to understand, to apprehend, comprehend, to apply, to submit to, to seek, to be filled with the Holy spirit every day. Lord, we pray that great things would happen. Now, father, the time we have to preach is short. The content is much. And so Lord, help us to, to gain it. Help us to take it all in for your glory. We ask this in Jesus name. Amen. All right. Well, we have here the, the command to be filled with the spirit. And it's in uh, linguistically, we call it an imperative mood. Imperative means that it's a command. So it's, it's not a suggestion here. It's a command that the Lord gives us. And also um, it's in uh, what we call present tense. And that means that you're always asking every day. You ask in the morning at noon in the evening, you're keep, you keep asking to be filled with the Holy spirit. And I think that's where we're falling apart because we'll ask for the filling of the Holy spirit here in church. When we preach on it, all of us, I'm sure when the sermon's over and we bow our heads for prayer, everyone here, I'm sure will pray, Lord, fill me with the Holy spirit. 
But then what's going to happen later tonight? What's going to happen first thing tomorrow morning when you get up? Are you going to remember to pray again? Someone says, well, pastor, what, what's going to happen? I'm not sure if I've ever been filled with the Holy Spirit. How many here remember when they got saved? Raise your hand if you remember when you got saved. Okay, but put your hands down. Do you remember at that time or shortly thereafter sort of feeling like you're walking on air that, wow, Christ is in your heart. You had this new joy. You felt a new song, you know, in your lips. How many experienced that? Put up your hand. All right. That's the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's not all the Holy Spirit does, but that is a good evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's very important that we, we, we stop looking at what's happening in the world around us with people who are claiming to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But it's important that we look at what God has taught us in the word of God. So let's go back to the gospel of John. Let's turn back there. John chapter 16, because this is an important springboard, if you will, for understanding the uh, filling of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16, the Lord Jesus here is here he is in that night in which he was betrayed. And he's got a lot of communication with the disciples. He's got a lot of stuff he's got to teach them. And so we have several chapters here of the Lord teaching the disciples. And in chapter 16, we have his words concerning the Holy Spirit. And he says in verse 13, how be it when he, the spirit of truth is come. Well, what does that mean? It means the day of Pentecost had not yet arrived. Jesus had not yet died on the cross, was buried and rose again. He, you know, he had not gone back to heaven yet. After all this was done. And on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter two, that's when the Holy Spirit was given as a big, big ceremonial gift to the brand new infant church. So when he, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you. Now look at that word guide. It does not say lead. It says guide. I'll come back to that. He will guide you into all truth for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear that shall he speak and he will show you things to come. Now, this is a very important little verse of scripture. And the Lord Jesus says here that the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's our comforter. Remember that the Holy Spirit is called our comforter. And, um, he has come to take up residence inside each and every born again, man, woman, and young person. And one of his jobs, because he has a couple of important jobs, but one of his jobs here is that he will guide us into all truth. Now, remember, Jesus said, "Ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you what? Free, free from bondage, free from corruption, free from uh, being fooled free from being conned by the devil or by people. And so Jesus says the Holy spirit will guide us. Now what's the difference between guide and lead? Isn't it the same thing? And the answer is no, it's not the same thing. There's a difference between a, a guide and a leader. And here's the difference. A leader or to lead will take you in the general direction in this case of truth. But a guide is someone who is right there by your side 
and hold you by the hand if need be, and will actually give you specific direction. See the difference? One is very general. The other is very specific. The word guide refers to specific. You see, that's why Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Every word. If we want specifics, then we need words. Every word. Do you understand? So when it comes to this matter of the Holy Spirit, we have every word. We have it right here. Now, this is very important, folks, uh, because I'll tell you what. There's a lot of hocus pocus going on these days about who the Holy Spirit is. And there's a lot of phony baloney out there. Some people seem to refer to the Holy Spirit as like a liquid. Oh, your problem? You're down a court. You need a you need to glug 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 fill up with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. The Holy Spirit is not a liquid. He's a person. So that's an important distinction. There are others, particularly unsaved, quote, Christian groups that we would refer to like Christian cults, such as the the J-dubs. They refer to the Holy Spirit as an impersonal force. Like wind, they say. Wind is not a person. It's just a force. And it'll move trees and move sailboats, but it's not a person. And they say the Holy Spirit is like that. Well, the Holy Spirit really is a person. I mean, look at it again in John chapter 16. Howbeit, when he, that's a personal pronoun. When he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth for he shall not speak of himself. You see those personal pronouns? The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal it. He's a personal he. He's a person. He is the third person of the Trinity. He is equal, co-equal in power and glory and honor with God, the father and God, the son. He is the silent partner, if you will, of the Trinity. His job is not to bring attention to himself, but to the Lord Jesus and to God, the father. Well, the charismatics generally, generally speaking, and, and the Pentecostals, generally speaking, you say, what's the difference between those groups? Well, the Pentecostals began back around 1900 and the Charismatics began around 1960. And up until 1960, you know, if you wanted to get involved with the hocus pocus, you had to be a Pentecostal because you couldn't be a Pentecostal Baptist. There was no such thing. You couldn't do that. It's like mixing, you know, oil and water or something. They're two different entities. Couldn't do it. They called them the Holy Rollers back in the 1940s because what they would do in many of their church services is they would actually get on the ground and roll. So they called them, and of course they, th- they thought they were being filled with the Spirit. And this kind of nonsensical behavior earned them the name the Holy Rollers. That's where that comes from. Well, that was sort of a derogatory kind of a thing. But then look, you know, if it walks like a duck, and it talks like a duck and acts like a duck. Maybe it's a duck. And so this kind of behavior was confined to Pentecostalism. Well, come 1960 and some Anglican minister goes to a Pentecostal service 
and claims to have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he came back and he told this to his Anglican church and they booted him out. And so then anyhow, that was the birth of the charismatic movement because now the charismatic movement can span denominational boundaries. Now you could be a Pentecostal Lutheran, a Pentecostal Catholic. I'm trying to say Pentecostal. You could be charismatic. I just said you couldn't be that a charismatic Catholic or a charismatic Lutheran, a charismatic Baptist. You could be a charismatic, anything you want. You see that, that leapfrogged and, and broke down those barriers. And there's a lot of people doing it, but we have a lot of nonsense going on in uh, this charismatic slash Pentecostal world. And a lot of them claim and believe that when you receive the, the, the filling of the Holy spirit, and they don't understand there's a difference in terms, the difference, the biblical difference between baptism of the spirit and the filling of the spirit, the indwelling of the spirit. They don't understand what those terms mean. They just lump them all into one. And they say, when you have it, you'll speak in new tongues. And basically it's gibberish is what it is. The tongue spoken of today is nothing like the tongue spoken of in the new Testament. In the New Testament times, 2000 years ago, it was a needed gift because you still had Israel around and it was a sign. Paul made it very clear in Corinthians, wherefore tongues are a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. And he's referring to the Jews because the Jews required a sign. And so the tongues we have today is pretty much gibberish. Someone says, why that's offensive. Well, you might take offense to that. You might, but shouldn't you want to know what the truth is? Why throw away the truth for the sake of experience? And I'll tell you what, uh, over the years I've spoken to numerous tongue speakers and then they, I say, well, where in the Bible do you find that? And they quote a verse and I say, okay, let's take a look at it. And so we look at it and we say, okay, Here we have a situation where the Jews were present. You know, the way they speak, you'd think that there's tongues spoken of all through the new Testament. It's only spoken of three times ever, ever. So what's the big deal here in Corinth? They made a mess of the gift and Paul wrote in first Corinthians and he spent two or three chapters trying to straighten it all out. And if we would just follow what Paul has to say, all of a sudden we'd stop and look at what's going on today. And it's nothing like what was going on in the new Testament. Did you know that on the day of Pentecost, according to the word of God in Acts chapter two, it wasn't the women that were speaking in tongues. It was the men because the Holy spirit chose all masculine pronouns in reference to the tongues today. In most tongue speaking circles, it's not the men, but it's the women speaking in the tongues. But I've spoken to numerous tongue speakers. And when I've shown them what the scriptures say, and they have no answer, what they tell me is always the same. Well, I don't care what you say. This is what they tell me. I don't care what you say. I know what I believe. I know what I've experienced. All right. That's up to you. You've heard the story about the man who I told you this a few times. It's hilarious. I'll tell you again, the crazy man who thought he was dead and, and no one could tell him differently. 
He was in a, 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 a crazy asylum, a loony bin. And uh, he'd been there a long time and he was sure he was dead. What are you talking to me for? I'm a dead. I'm a dead man. Do you always go around talking to dead men? I'm a dead man. Don't talk to me. I'm dead. And so they, uh, they got him in a room there with all the psychiatrists. And they thought, we're going to get him this time. And so they said to him, do dead men bleed? And he said, no, of course not. Everyone knows that. Dead men can't possibly bleed. The heart is stopped. There's no pumping. There's no blood pressure. Dead men don't bleed. Everyone knows that. And with that, one of the psychiatrists took a, a pin and gave him a prick on the arm. And he went, ouch. And he looked over and there was this trickle of blood coming down his arm and his eyes opened wide. And all of the psychiatrists said, we got him. And he says, well, I'll be, look at that. Dead men really do bleed. And I know it's an old joke, but I, I, Hey, I'm getting older and I like old jokes. Okay. But it tells you something, you know, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion. Still some people, no matter what you do, you could show them Jesus Christ himself could come and stand before them and tell them, listen, stop speaking gibberish. It's not new Testament tongue gift. I don't care what you say. (laughs) I know what I've experienced and that's what you're up against. Sad to say, but God has given us specific instructions. Now we're not here to talk about tongues. We're here to talk about something much better. The filling of the Holy spirit, because the filling of the Holy spirit will help lift us, lift us above temptation. Before I was saved, I had a real hunger and thirst for alcohol. And by rights, I should have ended up an alcoholic. I should have died an alcoholic's death because boy, I was just, I, when I found alcohol, I, I thought, man, this is, I'm a fish in water now. Wow. And I would get miserably drunk. Can you imagine me getting miserably drunk? I'd vomit and pass out and I'd have a hangover that would last me two days. I tell you, and I'd say, Oh, never again. And then someone would say, there's another party on Friday. All right. This once more. And I was about halfway down to chronic alcoholism. And that's when I got saved. That's when the Lord saved me. And what he did was he lifted me above that desire for drink. Boy, I never want to go back to those days. I'll tell you what. I don't ever want to go back to those miserable days. A good dear cousin of mine named Danny, a couple years, three, four years younger than me. He had the same problem. And by the time he was 40, he managed to drink himself to death and he died an alcoholic's death. And I'm still feeling bad about that. And that's been a lot of years now, at least 20 years, I think maybe more that uh, Danny passed away. But you know, by the grace of God, that should have been me. But when he saved me, the filling of the Holy spirit put, put me above that temptation. And that's the, one of the benefits of the Holy spirit. If you have a sin that you're struggling with, maybe it's a temper or maybe it's a sin of the mind or maybe it's something else and you know, it's wrong and you've asked the Lord to forgive you many times. Do you know the Holy spirit can help you rise above that? The promise of the Holy spirit is walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's good news. When he says ye shall not literally, it means 
It is impossible. No way, Jose, can you walk in the spirit and at the same time fulfill the lust of the flesh. It cannot happen. You cannot go forward and backward at the same time, can you? You can go one way or you can go the other, but you can't do both at the same time. That's the same thing with the Holy Spirit. You cannot walk in the spirit and walk in the flesh at the same time. It's an impossibility. And that's why we need to be filled with the spirit day after day after day. And when you realize, oh man, I forgot to be filled with the spirit. What should I do? Duh. You should pause, stop and ask the Lord to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Well, if I get filled with the Holy Spirit, am I going to start to have this wild? You're not going to have that. You're going to have the fruit of the spirit. Now, as I mentioned, there's a lot of hocus pocus that's going on today. Um, there's way too many examples to, uh, to, to tell you all of them. I don't even know of all of them, but I, I see a whole bunch of things happening around the world in every continent. There's always wackos who claim to be filled with the spirit. And one fella I read about, he was a pastor and he claimed to be filled with the spirit. He was going to show his people. He could walk on water. This was in um, a, a certain part in Africa. And so he got his people on the shore and he went out, he waded out, you know, into the water up to about his waist. And he said that he was going to rise up and walk on the water. All of a sudden <laughs> he went down and then a hand came up and down. He went again, a crocodile got him. There is so much nonsense. There's a guy down in Florida called Rodney Brown. Maybe you've heard of him. Maybe you haven't. Doesn't matter what this fella has done. He's done this a few years back, but he's still on this kick is he claims that when you get filled with the Holy spirit, it's like you're drunk. Now, what did we just finish reading in Ephesians chapter five? Be not what drunk with wine. We're in his excess. What this guy is teaching. And I'm telling you folks, hundreds of thousands or perhaps millions of people are believing it. That when you get filled with the Holy spirit, boy, you're going to be staggering around like a drunk man. And he says that on the day of Pentecost, and he, he looks to that, you know, chapter two of acts as his proof that you'll stagger around drunk. And he says that they thought these men were full of new wine. Well, I'll tell you right there. That is not what new wine is. New wine hasn't had time to ferment. There's no alcohol in it. It was full of sugar. That's what new wine is. And just like a kid who gets a sugar high, have you ever seen this happen? Parents, have you ever had that happen with one of your kids? They've had a few candy bars and they're climbing the walls. Wow. They're ho, 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 ho. A sugar high. Sometimes it happens to adults too. They eat too much chocolate pie or something and they have a sugar high and wow, man, they're just wired. And that's what the, the people were accusing the apostles of being high on new wine. Anyhow, this fellow Rodney Brown claims that when you get filled with the Holy spirit, you're going to be speaking gibberish and you're going to be staggering around drunk and they're boasting. Many of them are boasting of how drunk they are and how they can't even drive their cars, knocking over garbage cans. 
They're boasting that they have to be put in the back seat and driven home. They're boasting of this. Some of them claim they have to be put in wheelchairs. They're so drunk they can't stand and be escorted home. And they're claiming this to be the filling of the Holy Spirit. It is unadulterated garbage. Absolutely. It is not just wrong. It's wicked. It is a total perversion of what the Bible tells us that the filling of the Holy Spirit is. Well, folks, I want us to take a few minutes now and I want us to look at some verses. And as we look at these verses, we're going to lay a a groundwork. I think I'm going to continue this next Wednesday, next Sunday night. Let's do that. I got way too much material for you. Let's lay a groundwork tonight. Okay. And then I imagine most of you will, won't be here next Sunday night because it'll be someone else's turn to be here unless you're on the standby list. And otherwise then you, you'd be watching from home. Okay. And let me look into the camera. Those of you who are watching from home, if you're here next week, bring your notes. Or if you're at home in front of the camera, pull out your notes and we'll pick up where we left off. Okay. Let's take our Bible, please. And let's go to the gospel of Luke. So we're going to turn back and we'll first, we'll take a look here. This will lay a foundation of legitimacy for the filling of the Holy spirit. Luke and chapter one. Now in Luke chapter one, we have one of the most unusual cases of the filling of the Holy spirit. And it's concerning John the Baptist. And it's in chapter one, verse 15. Here's the prophecy by the angel for he, in verse 15, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord and he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy ghost, even from his mother's womb. The only man I think in history, the only person in history who's ever been filled with the Holy ghost right from the very moment they were born. This speaks of John the Baptist. Now in the same chapter, if you look please at verse 41 and here's John's mother, Elizabeth and Mary, her cousin, Mary, the mother of Jesus came to visit her. Verse 41. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe. Now who's that? Anyone know John the Baptist? That's right. The babe leaped in her womb. Boy, there's quite a kick. Huh? Where's Mrs. Lydia here tonight? Yeah. The baby's kicking. She tells me. Yeah. But I bet she's never had the baby leap in her womb. I don't know what that would feel like. You can only imagine. No, I can't even do that. Well, anyhow, the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth now was filled with the Holy ghost. Notice we don't have the time to look at it, but notice here, no mention of tongues, no mention of rolling on the floor, no mention of staggering around drunk. None of that shenanigans, none of that phony baloney that you're hearing today going on, but rather she lift up her voice and she said in verse 42, blessed art thou among women. And you know, on she goes to the end of verse 45. 
Same chapter. Let's look at verse 67. Now here's Zacharias. He's the father of John the Baptist. And here, when um, John was born and they wanted to name him uh, something else here, they wanted to, to, to call him uh, Zacharias after the name of his father, but they wanted to call him John. They said, why? There's, there's no one in your family called John. And so they, they uh, asked Zacharias and he motioned for a tablet and he wrote his name is John. Now look at please at verse 67 and his father, Zacharias was filled with the Holy ghost and prophesied saying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he hath visited and redeemed his people. And on he goes and he goes right down to, it looks like the end of verse 79. So there's the filling of the Holy spirit for John, for his mother, Elizabeth, for his father, Zacharias. Let's, let's just jump over to Acts chapter two now, shall we? In Acts chapter two, I made reference to this earlier, and this was the um, day of Pentecost here. Verse one, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they, now that's a third person plural, in, including, um, including all, all men and women, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues, like as of fire, as it sat upon each of them. And they all were filled with the Holy ghost. The all there in Greek is nominative, plural, masculine. It's masculine. So it's the men here that were filled with the Holy ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the spirit gave them. That's a, um, uh, a, 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 what we call a dative plural, but it's masculine pronoun. Them is a masculine pronoun in Greek. And so as the spirit gave the men utterance and here's a legitimate example of when the early church was filled with the Holy spirit and the men spoke in tongues, go to chapter four, if you would please. And in chapter four and verse number eight, we have the apostle Peter. Then Peter filled with the Holy ghost said unto them, ye rulers and the people uh, and elders of Israel. And he goes on down to verse 12. No mention here of tongues or gibberish or drunken behavior or anything like that. Very intelligent speech. It's the filling of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit took over and gave him this sermon to give. In same chapter, chapter four, look please at verse 31. And when they prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled. By the way, the all is the same. It's a, a masculine plural pronoun. They were all the men were filled with the Holy ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. And um, also if you go to chapter nine, so we've seen now the disciples in chapter two, verse four, the um, uh, apostle Peter in chapter four, verse eight, the disciples again in verse 31. Now we go to chapter nine 
and enter the apostle Paul. And so we here have Paul when he got saved, verse 17. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, brother Saul, that was Paul's name before he became Paul. It was Saul, the Lord, even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy ghost. And also if you go to chapter 13 and verse nine, here is that same man, Saul, who is about to be called Paul verse nine and Saul, who also was called Paul filled with the Holy ghost, set his eyes on him and said, and away it goes. And so here we have some legitimate cases of being filled with the Holy spirit. Being filled with the Holy spirit is not the same as speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues was a gift given by the Holy spirit to select individuals back in the first century church. He is no longer doing that. And we can conclusively show that from first Corinthians chapter 13, that that and a couple of other things have passed away. They are no longer needed. They're not in existence today. And even throughout church history, 2000 years of church history, no one spoke in tongues except some cult groups back in the 1700s, the cult called the shakers. If you've ever heard of them, Mother Ann Lee and the Shakers, it sounds like a rock group, but it, it's not. It's, it's a real cult. And Mother Ann Lee was a bit of a weirdo, and she would teach her people to take their clothes off and shake in the nude. And this, she said, would get rid of um, the sexual desires, evil stuff like that. Well, she taught her people to speak in tongues. Consider the source where that one come from. And there was a couple of other cultish groups that taught tongues, but it wasn't until 1900, 120 years ago when the Pentecostals got started, uh, Agnes Osman, we can trace it right back to the young lady who claimed to have been baptized quote unquote in the Holy spirit and spoke in tongues. She was in a Bible college and the other kids said, Oh, we want it too. And they graduated and took over and it, it, it's like COVID-19. It just infected the whole world. But prior to that, no one spoke in tongues, modern tongue stuff. But being filled with the Holy Spirit is a privilege that we can enjoy, but we're not seeking it and we need to seek it. So what happens? What really happens? then when we get filled with the Holy Spirit, what is it that happens? Let's go back to Ephesians chapter five. And it tells us, or at least tells us some of it in Ephesians chapter five. All right, let's, let's look at it again. We looked at verse 18, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the spirit. Now watch what happens. Speaking to yourselves in Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. There's a, one of the first evidences of being filled with the Holy spirit is you'll have joy and the joy will be in your heart. Even though your circumstances may be pressing you down a bit, Maybe you have bills. You don't have enough money. Maybe you've got medical condition. You don't have enough health. Maybe you've got enemies. You don't have enough friends or something, whatever. The world seems to be pressing in on you. Things are going bad. You're filled with the Holy spirit. The Holy spirit will give you joy. That's one of the evidences of the filling of the Holy spirit. And it's going to come out in song. And then in verse 20, 
giving thanks always for all things unto God and the father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the giving of thanks is an evidence of the Holy spirit. Here you have singing for joy. You've got the giving of thanks. These are evidences of the filling of the Holy spirit. These are the things the world needs to see. The world's got enough problems. The world is just filled with problems these days and they need to see born again Christians that are filled with joy and a sense of thankfulness to God. Oh, how that lets our light shine because it's a dark old world. And when they see people, Christian people who are filled with joy and thanksgiving to God. Oh, I'm telling you, it has a powerful effect upon the unsaved heart. Well, those are only two. Look at verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Here's the humility and the submission one to another. That's something that's foreign to the world. The world says, boy, you won't get me to submit. Oh, authority. Oh, not me. I'll fight authorities. And we've seen that in the news. Haven't we? We've got this uh, thing that's going on now and people are getting up in arms and protests and they're tearing down statues and they're, they're painting graffiti and things. And it's going around the world. People are all upset and angry. No one wants to submit to the leaders. No one wants to submit to authority. No, the time for submission is over. We're going to rebel. We'll rise up. We'll change the world. That's the world today. Boy, what a difference when they see us filled with the spirit. Uh, Let's look please at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. This is all in the context of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, wives, wouldn't you want your husbands to be filled with the Holy Spirit if it meant that they're going to love you? Huh? They're going to show that love and affection, put their arms around you. Wouldn't that be wonderful, wives? Huh? Wives would love that, wouldn't they? If their husbands were filled with the Holy Spirit. Boy, I'm not seeing any nods or anything. Am I, am I in the right place here? Ladies, when your husband gets filled with the Holy Spirit, boy, he's going to be, he wants to take you dancing. He wants to just be with you and he's, he's going to love you. That's what it says here. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church. That's a pretty good comparison. If you ask me, that's a pretty good deal. And this happens in context of being filled with the spirit. Verse 18. All right. Well, that's good news. Anything more? Well, I think so. Uh, let's see here. Um, verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. That's done after the filling of the Holy Spirit. Boy, husbands, wouldn't you want your wife filled with the Holy Spirit so that she submits herself to you? Oh, boy, you'd think that you're married all over again to that same wonderful woman. Wow. You see what the filling of the Holy Spirit will do in our marriages. That's got to be evident, right? Amen. Someone say amen. Because it's true. If we want to have a little heaven on earth in our marriages, let's just get filled with the Holy Spirit. We're going to be full of joy and singing. We're going to be full of thankfulness. We're going to submit ourselves much easier to our authorities. We're going to Husbands are going to love their wives. Wives are going to love and submit themselves to their husbands. Oh boy, but it doesn't stop there. Look, please at chapter six and verse one, children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. It comes on the heels of chapter five, verse 18. When the children get filled with the Holy spirit, they're going to have a much easier time at submitting to mom and dad. 
Sometimes it's World War III trying to get the kids to do what they're supposed to do. And particularly when they get into their early teenage years, all of a sudden, who are you and what did you do with my son? Tell me, where is he? I want him back. Well, that is your son, but he just needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when he gets filled with the Holy Spirit, boy, he's going to have a whole lot easier time. There's going to be harmony in the home. He'll be able to submit himself to mom and dad. And then look, um, verse four, fathers provoke not your children to wrath. This is, this is all done in the filling of the Holy Spirit. Verse five, servants be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. Employee, obey your employer. Oh, he's, he's a nut. He's a fruitcake or something. I don't want to obey him. Get filled with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will help you to obey. You see, it becomes so much easier. Remember the Old Testament Jew. He had just the hardest time. He loved God. He was saved, but he had no power to be able to keep the law. From Acts chapter two on these New Testament Jewish Christians are saved. And now they have power to keep the law. They're so excited about it. And here we are. We're saved, but we got no power to submit and to obey our boss at work or obey our mom or dad, or even to love one another. We've got no power to do it. We need to be filled with the Holy spirit. That's our secret. That's our secret weapon folks. You see why it is. We need to be filled with the Holy spirit and you can have it. Say, how do I get it? You get it by asking. Now you have to confess any known sin. You got to get rid of the sin because the Holy Spirit's not going to fill a dirty vessel. Ask the Lord to cleanse your heart. If you've offended someone, you need to go and ask their forgiveness. Hey, get it done. It's a whole lot easier to get it done than to live without the filling of the Holy Spirit. So humble yourself, make things right. Whatever needs to be right. If you've stolen something, give it back. If you've defrauded someone, whatever, do what you need to do to get yourself right with God. And then you are on praying ground and God is most happy to give you the filling of the Holy spirit, but you have to seek it every day. And if you forget, well, James chapter four, verse two, ye have not because ye ask not. Right. And so that's why we need to ask every day for the filling of the Holy spirit. We'll continue this next week, but for now let's close our eyes and let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Before I pray, I'd like to encourage you right now with your head bowed and your eyes closed to confess to the Lord any shortcomings, any failures, any sins. And in your heart, you, you name them. You tell the Lord what they are and ask his forgiveness. Maybe ask the Lord to search you, search your heart right now. Is there anything there that shouldn't be? Confess any known sin. Ask the Lord to forgive you and receive his forgiveness. And then ask the Holy Spirit to take over and to fill you with himself. And he has all the power to live a successful Christian life. Ask him to do it now, would you? Holy Spirit, fill my heart. Take over in my life. Heavenly Father, help us to do this every day. To keep short accounts with sin. 
and to keep asking you every day to fill us with the Holy Spirit. Every day is a new challenge. Every day we're like a deflated balloon and we need to be inflated with the Holy Spirit of God. We need to let our light shine. We need to live a successful Christian life. Father, many of us have tried this in the strength of the flesh and we can put on a show, but that's it. We don't have the the real goods. Heavenly Father, fill us with the Holy Spirit so we can live godly lives in this miserable world and use us, Father, to bless others and give us joy at the same time. Lord, I pray that you might help us to live for you tonight and each day this week. And if it be your will, when we gather together next Lord's day in the evening, help us to continue on in this subject because there's still so much more to learn. Wet our appetite, make us hungry and thirsty to know you and walk close with you. In Jesus name, we pray. Amen. I'd like to uh, invite those who are watching over the internet. If you would please go to our donation page and help keep the church strong. Now I really praise God for all of you here tonight and for all of you watching over the internet that uh, you've, you've done just that and you've been faithful and you've been helping our church to be strong in the general fund and in the missions fund. And I want to thank you for that. But the game's not over yet. The Lord hasn't called us home to heaven yet. There's still days left ahead of us, I imagine. So let's be faithful and let's do our part. Now, for those of us here tonight, we don't have the ushers to pass the offering bags like we normally would in the good old days, but we have the little donation box on the wall. As you exit the auditorium into the foyer on the right is the donation box. And if you brought your tithes, and your faith promise, you can put them in there and it's under lock and key. And we have uh, careful guards in place, careful measures in order to make sure that every penny is accounted for. Well, at this time, I think we will uh, call upon uh, Pastor Tim to come and lead us in our closing hymn, our final hymn. And it's appropriate one. I think it's entitled our best. And the only way that we can really render our best is with the filling of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>